Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight we round out our brief study through this portion of 1 John. And I want to read this text again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Belief in Christ means that you have been born of God. And likewise, all believers have been born of God and thus are children of God. Which means we're all brothers and sisters. So far, so good. We can go along with this without too much of an issue, I hope. But then we come to some more difficult passages. It almost seems like we're falling back into the position where our salvation is dependent upon our keeping of the law. And I say that because phrases like, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world may lead us to conclude statements like that might lead us to conclude that we must overcome our sin and keep the law in order to be saved. This is a terrifying prospect to anyone who has a right understanding of God's holiness. I thought you were raising your hand back there. (laughs) I would raise my hand to this. Yes, this is a terrifying prospect to anyone who uh, has a right understanding of God's holiness and as well as their lack of self-righteousness. Seeing yourself rightly through the mirror of God's law, we would be terrified at the prospect that I have to do something to earn or merit my salvation. So back to the passage, though. Again, it says, uh, as you continue on, you have passages that point us back to Christ, like, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And also, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, it's, it's our faith. And that's a rhetorical question. John is saying, nobody has overcome the world except those who put their faith and trust in Christ. That is the person who's overcome the world. And that's great news because, indeed, it implies that we, that we overcome the world through our faith. Not by our keeping of the law, but through our faith specifically through faith in Jesus Christ. And the way John puts it is it's faith in Jesus Christ and faith that he is the Christ, the Messiah, you know, that he is the Son of God. All right, this passage opens the door to one of the most challenging concepts for Christians to rightly understand, and that's the distinction between the law and the gospel. The passages we read from Romans 3 and Galatians 2 are no mistake. I picked those specifically because I felt like when you read 1 John 5, this section we read, in case there's any doubt that you might feel like, oh, this is uh, something I have to do to, uh, to be a child of God, we want to make it abundantly clear 
And so we have these passages from Romans 3 and Galatians 2 that make it abundantly clear that the Christian is saved by faith through which the Christian receives a righteousness that is not their own, but the perfect righteousness of Christ. So as good Bereans, we want to let Scripture interpret Scripture, which means we let the clear passages like Romans 3 and Galatians 2 make it crystal clear that it is not our works that save us, but that justification um, is, is found by faith in Christ alone. Um, from the Romans pa- passage, uh, referring to Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. There's that word propitiation again, which we saw a couple weeks ago in the first John lesson. That's what love is. That's, God has defined love. It doesn't have to be this nebulous thing that you know, is ephemeral, like tied to our feelings. It's objective. It's defined in the cross. Jesus dying on the cross is God's love for you. That's very specific. And, that's, and it's objective. And you, it's there. God's love for you is shown in this. So if this is made so clear in the uh, epistles, then why in 1 John is there this talk of keeping the law? Kind of a a head-scratcher, perhaps. And perhaps Psalm 119 will help out with that, which is why I wanted Psalm 119 to be read tonight. Um, We start at verse 33. I'm going to read it again. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Do you see how the author, the psalmist here, yearns to know God's law, his precepts, and yearns to walk in them? It's his desire to walk in the law of God. The question arises, Is the author of Psalm 119 a believer? Do they long to know God's law so that they might be saved by keeping it? Is that why they want to know? God, teach me your law so that I can keep it and thereby be saved. But see, he doesn't say that. The psalmist doesn't say that. He doesn't use the law in that sense. And that's, so that's unlikely. That idea that he's, he's begging God, show me your law so that I can know exactly what I am to do. Put an eye over this, uh, you know, put, put a, dot my I's, cross my T's. I want to know everything I need to do so that I can be saved. That's not the sense in which the psalmist is, is saying all of this. It's his expressed desire to learn and apply the law. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. The idea that the psalmist desires to keep the law to be saved just does not fit fit this text. On the other hand, the statement, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways, 
points exactly to Christ. That's it. He's pointing to Christ. Here's why I say that. Salvation by works of the law is a fruitless exercise, or you could say a worthless thing. And he's saying, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. That's, that's the fruitless exercise of straining to earn your salvation by keeping of the law. And Christ is the way in which God gives life. And that's the second part of that verse. And give me life in all your ways. So here the psalmist asks God to turn him away from the condemnation of the law and turn him toward the free gift of eternal life secured by Christ. We can conclude that the psalmist is a fellow believer, a child of God, a brother of ours. Just like all believers, he has been given a new heart. So even while he struggles with sin, in fact, notice that I said struggles with sin. You know, we've talked about this before. The believer struggles with sin. <laughs> the unbeliever doesn't struggle with sin. There's not, what, what do I need to struggle with? I mean, everything's fine. I'm basically a good person. It's the believer who struggles with sin. You know, I, I can't, how many times have I had a nickel for every time I heard someone say, well, I got to, you know, I got to clean up my act a little bit and then I'm going to be back in church. <laughs> no, no. Come to church. Christ will clean you better, like worlds better than you could clean yourself. Trust me. Just come into church. <clears throat> so he struggles. The psalmist struggles with sin rather than giving into it. And why? Because the law is acting upon him. He doesn't turn away from the law. In, in fact, the psalmist cries out, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. This, is, this idea, it's kind of ties into like scorn, you know? Like he is scorned because of his Adherence or keeping of the law, which is definitely something that we can see nowadays. We try, we who try to hold the line on this is God's law, this is right and wrong. And why? So that we can lord it over people who are less pious than we are? No, of course not. So that Christ as the Savior will be needed, like his, his necessity will be recognized because if you're not dead in your sins, you don't need a Savior. So who cares? So we can't let the law go because the law is what points us to the, our need for a Savior in the first place. But here he's saying, he's, the psalmist is expressing that he is, can be turned away from the law because of reproach that he, he hears from people around him. And he's saying, don't let that happen. Let me not be bothered by that, Lord, because your law is good. Don't let me turn away from your law. Your law is good. Let me turn to your law. He desires to be led by God's law. And in a way, in Christ, the law has lost its condemning power. I want to be careful. I'm sure I'm going to say a couple things wrong here. So, <laughs> so I want to be very careful. The, the law hasn't lost its condemning power. But in Christ, it has. In Christ, the law doesn't condemn us anymore. So in that sense, it has lost its condemning power. That's what uh, 
And that's why in, in this Psalm 119, he's not expressing the law in it, it, as, it, as though it condemns him. He's expressing the law as though it's something that he desires because it is good. It's a, it's a good thing. And, it, and it's, it's not a fear of condemnation. But the earnest desire to keep it, that's what the psalmist is expressing. So we come back to our passage from 1 John. I'm just about done here. We come back to 1 John. And this is, this is what John is referring to. Believers keep the commandments and they're not burdensome. Why is that? Why would they not be burdensome? Well, because in this sense, the burden of the law is the condemnation that comes with it. And John is saying, relax. You're a child of God. He's got you. The law does not condemn you anymore. You have been made an heir of all that God has. You are his beloved child. He loves you so much that he gave Jesus Christ as a propitiation for your sins. So the law doesn't have that condemning function for you. No, not anymore. That is done. So it is not, it's not a burden any longer. Now it's, it's a joy. I mean, we're free. We're set free. How do we keep the law? We serve our neighbors. We, you know, uh, we love each other. We care for one another. Don't steal. Yeah, yeah, sure, all of these things. And yet we do because we struggle with it. And John's not saying you're not going to struggle with it. He's saying when you struggle with it, you remember we have an advocate with the Father. In fact, our confession comes from 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That comes from this same epistle. So he's not saying you'll be without sin. But some people try and make 1 John 5 say that. That this means that as a Christian, we can overcome the world of sin by living the perfect life. But hopefully it's a little more clear that that is not at all what he is saying. He's saying we overcome the world because Christ has overcome the world. And he's overcome the world on our behalf. And you might say, but pastor, I don't always desire to keep God's law. Yeah, because you're still affected by sin that you inherited from Adam. And you're going to struggle with that until the day you die. And, you know, also think about this. How is it that Jesus taught his apostles, his disciples to pray? Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Now, why would he have to teach that if the believer would not continue to struggle with this? See, our Lord himself gave us a prayer for that reason. And, you know, it's not like anything that you do, have done, or will do in the future is any surprise to Jesus. Oh, he knows everything. He's got it all. And he said, yes, I willingly lay down my life for you, for that sin that you committed. I willingly lay down my life for you. That is the love that God bears for each one of us in Christ. You may not always feel victorious as though you've overcome the world, but feelings can deceive. 
God's word, on the other hand, cannot err. He cannot lie. It is always true. Therefore, be of good cheer. Christ has overcome sin, death, and the devil. In Christ, in Christ, you have overcome the world. Not because you keep the law, but because your Savior, Jesus Christ, has kept the law perfectly on your behalf. Thanks be to God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.